The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. I've run research on every living scholar who's been cited for major discovery in their particular field. Take a look. We can narrow this down. Oh, yeah? Good luck. We're looking for a living scholar who solved the great riddle, right? Yeah. And every riddle has an answer, right? Usually one correct one. Where are you going with this? Scholars of history are dealing with the past. So their theories could only be educated guesses. So take history scholars off the list. Same with philosophers. Okay. I'll also remove anthropologists, ethicists, and futurists. We're looking for fields that allow scholars to make concrete, definite answers to questions. Physics. How about my worst subject? Everything in math was a mystery to me. London. It is Thursday, August 20th, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today where 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to share some of your opinions with us. And today our theme is power to the people, only not perhaps in the political sense entirely, but literally in terms of making individuals energy independent. And that's going to be our general theme today. I am joined in the studio today uh, for the second time actually by Andy Jansen, futurist, self-taught science, chemistry, physics. He was on the show last time back on July 3rd, 2008. You can check out that show online at www.justrightmedia.org because we're going to be kind of picking up from that conversation a little bit today and carry on with some of the latest developments in technology and hydrogen and things of that nature. Welcome to the show, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, so what's new in the past year? Anything <laughs> with everything going well, you yeah. know, in, in your life and stuff? Oh, yes. uh, when we talked last time, I just want to mention a couple things personally about you first. Um, uh, all this, you you were you had just completed some successful tests here at the university or under the auspices of the University of Western Ontario with regard to the storage of hydrogen. Isn't that correct? Yes, with the NRC. And and can you just tell us a little bit about that? And well, the uh project uh, was quite interesting. It was a 2.35 fold better than anything currently exists. Uh, there's no patent on it. Uh, it's a whole category that doesn't even exist. And it's a way of uh, storing not just hydrogen, but all gases. Um, uh, the scale 2.35 fold, you could, uh, well, you could change everything from uh, scuba equipment to uh, welding equipment to it. Um, now, now, this is the ability to literally store hydrogen. What form would it be in? Gas? Uh, the liquid? Um, if this is done the way I'd like to see it, the core will be liquid, and it'll be gaseous on the outer edge. Interesting. Now, the interesting thing, too, that you got, you had these these um, tests done here at the university that proved to be successful. You certainly must have made some kind of inroads with that. 
And um, now I know you were looking for funding to, to, to develop it further. And uh, I also happen to know you've been in touch with certain companies from time to time. You send me the odd email. I know uh, some company in California was looking at uh, what you had there. And they even listened to our show. Yes, they did. And um, anything come of that yet? Or is, is it still the hunt is on for the financing? Well, the hope is there's somebody who's actually smart enough out there whether it's an individual or a corporation or a, a group or a, or perhaps a government overseas that yeah. wants to be energy independent. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about the funding issue a little later. But um, interesting, you know, for you to do something like that, you know, I can talk theory a lot, but if you actually had me sit down and uh, try and figure out how to store hydrogen in any form, let alone <laughs> in two different forms and get it to work, that's amazing. I would have thought it would take, you know, 10 years of university experience, and yet you're basically self-taught. Um, you told us your story about that last time, that uh, I guess you were involved in an accident, mm-hmm. a serious accident as a child, and you couldn't go to school and share in the normal things that kids did, so you started reading on your own. Absolutely. Now, I know it's a little off-topic, but you, and, and this came up after the show when we talked last time. Um, when you mentioned the accident in which you were involved, you said it was an accident that had a fatality. Mm-hmm. And I did not uh, pursue that point. And then after the uh, show, I went out, when, when we left the, the-, or the theater, the-, the station here, I mentioned to you, I said, well, who was the fatality? And tell, tell the folks what you told me. Well, it was me. I uh, had one of those, at the time, it didn't have a name, but I guess they called it a near-death experience. Yeah. I got to do the whole, whole route there and back. And you were the only one... Yes. Injured that seriously in the accident? Yes, I was on a tricycle and run over by a, by a oh car. Oh, boy. So you were very young at the time. Oh, yes. I was uh, four years old. And, uh, you know, people always ask, any experiences associated with that? Well, uh, let me sum it up like this. Of all my childhood experience, that was the absolutely the most vivid. Really? It was the, it was the most real. Yeah. It was a little bit hard to explain it like that, but... Um, I've, I've analyzed it myself over the years trying to figure out what it is, and it's something just beyond our perception. Well, what, what is it um, that would motivate you to even pursue such hardline scientific things? Like a lot of people might retreat more into fantasy and retreat more into reading books and escapism, and you seem to really uh, go almost the total opposite way. I just know from knowing you over the years, you're a real, you know... A facts-oriented kind of person. You like to know how things work. I have a yeah. bit of that too, but I would never get to the point to pursuing it to the physical implementation of other things. Maybe I just don't have the time. What 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 started that off? Is it? Uh, I, I I don't know. I was. Uh, I remember as a kid, I would uh, between the the, the head injuries the, and uh, the uh, I would spend many many hours by myself reading at the library, way out of my scale of interest, or my scale to the age yeah, of the yeah, interest. Uh-huh. And uh, I, know, I just seem to be able to recall everything. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, so the ability to recall all the information, you're able to integrate it, put it together. Yes. And, of course, uh, you must have some kind of mechanical experience uh, from somewhere in your life. Oh, it's, yeah, fixing virtually everything. But there was, uh, I can look at something and tell you if it's right or wrong, and uh, I can tell you what hell is. Hell is <laughs> being able to recognize that something's wrong and being unable to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can relate to that. You know, that seems to be the state of politics, isn't it? Really, uh, that's very interesting. So let's now you've become you, you sort of I've got your business card here, and it says Andy Jansen, futurist, and and um, I know that as a futurist, you don't deal in certainties, but in probabilities and in possibilities and what might be, other than what we have now. Um, 
it's interesting too because a lot of your interest is ba- is heavily energy based in, in looking yes. at new 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 forms of energy, and um, it's interesting. Uh, last week Friday, I don't know if you recall, was uh, the 2003 anniversary of the big blackout in North America. Mm-hmm. And um, recently, too, the subject we discussed last time that you were on the show, which was, oh, again, back in July of, of 08, um, was the issue of net metering versus oh, yes. what they're calling now smart metering. There's been a lot of um, discussion about smart meters. Just wanted to uh, illustrate this point. This is out of the London Free Press by Connie Woodcock in, uh, on July 18th. Customers say smart meters are gouging users. And uh, most people haven't felt this yet, partially because as the changeover is going, we're in a lower demand economy because of the bad yes. economy. The weather's been unusually cool for the North American East Coast, yes. which has reduced the demand on electrical supply for air conditioning and things. But um, some of these examples that were given in Connie's article here, it points out that when right after they switched from the old meters to the new meters, um, there's one couple here, Christine Akers, who uh, in her home... Uh, her hydro bill used to be about $200 every two months and then uh, suddenly jumped up and doubled that, more than doubled that in the same period. In their shop, um, they used to pay $1,438 for the whole year of electrical supply. Then along comes Ontario Hydro with a new smart meter and suddenly their hydro bill is more than double, sorry, not, not just double, more than double, $800 for two months. So... Um, and it says here, by 2011, smart meters are supposed to be in use in every house and small business in the province. Hydro One has been trying to install a smart meter in Acre's home, but so far she's fought them off over the issue of not just um, the, the, the um, extra cost, but invasion of privacy, because apparently uh, these smart meters meter send a signal constantly, yeah. 24 hours a day. They know every instant what you're turning on, what, anything, when your power use is going up. And it's not just recording it, but actually transmitting it constantly. And, of course, there are other people like Allison Horton in um, Smith's Falls, Ontario. They had all, she, she did everything energy efficient, got all the light bulbs, put timers on her dishwashers, etc., etc., got the smart meter, and her bill went from $80 a month to $200 a month on an equal billing plan. And she's already been told that she'll be $1,200 behind on the year, which is what her whole bill was for the previous year uh, in total. So basically, this leaves people with the inability to budget. And, you know, these smart meters, uh, one thing that they haven't been telling us and that I keep hearing from people inside the industry and around is they're not just there to time our energy use for time of day, but they're also going to be used in the future to ration energy use because they can actually pinpoint a home and cut back. Uh, on the electricity. Um, totally the wrong way to go, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And I've come up with a solution here. and it's. Uh, Tell us about it. It's very simple. You will produce your own power at home. You will make the meter spin backwards. And uh, there's a fellow in Germany, uh, Hermann Scheer, who mm-hmm. went to... Uh, uh, it was a politician there. Actually, W5 did quite a program on him. And uh, he, this whole mechanism is that an individual home or farm or business should be able to produce its own power and export it back to the grid, and the grid can sell it to people who wish to use it. And when demand is high, the meter spins forward. Demand is low, it's spinning backwards. Depending on if you're using at yes. the time. Um, you could so why aren't we doing that? Uh, it's, there are no places in Canada that produce wind generation or solar generation. 
And if you tried to do a micro-generation facility, you'd have all the... No, I thought there were. I thought there were some new wind farms going up. Well, the wind farms, but there's no wind production. Nobody's building these units. What's the difference? Well, we have to import them from Germany or South America. Oh, I see. You mean as an industry, building building the units themselves, not just installing them. In Germany right now, the uh, green energy is uh, larger than the German auto industry. And if you want to bring the jobs back to Ontario or to Canada, you're going to have to get away from building cars because there'll be a, a minor sideline. It's going to be the green energy, the big windmills, the, uh, which are really inefficient. And I have had numerous suggestions on how to make them far more efficient and how to prevent them from the bird strikes and prevent them from uh, uh, where the carotene builds up from the insects. Well, it's interesting because I would I would have thought you wouldn't even be encouraging wind generation at all because on the last show the theme was more you know hydrogen's not the best fuel it's the only fuel kind well, of well we still have to produce the hydrogen yeah. and if you listen to all the critics they'll suggest that oh it takes energy to produce hydrogen well as long as you're burning carbon yes it will but if you're using sunlight and wind and water you can produce hydrogen literally for the cost of the machinery to produce it and spread that over decades. Again, all that capitalization in, in windmills and, and whatever technology we're using, that's extremely um, capital-intensive. Doesn't it have a, a, a stress on the environment as well? Because the electricity has to be stored in some fashion. It's not just produced and fed in, isn't it? Well, no, am I misunderstanding how that would work? You, you have a... a, a uh the, cable, uh, the wires come into your house, the overhead wires, and there's three wires in. Uh, when there's a demand in your house the electricity is flowing to the house. When you're producing a surplus electricity, it is flowing out. Well, I understand that, but what about uh, from the windmill itself? Like, when it's running, is it just filling, charging a battery from which the power is drawn? Oh, the actual mechanics yes. is uh, you have a, a windmill or a solar panel, and you have to produce it in DC, direct current. Uh, it's stored in usually a battery grid. Uh, the batteries are getting progressively better and better, even in the hostile Canadian climate. You have an inverter, and you jump from the DC to an AC current, and the AC feeds your house or your barn or your shop or your factory, and then the surplus goes back into the grid. And you're No, that's very much... Uh, I have a battery like that that I think I got from uh, Canadian Tire or something like that. You, can, you have the AC current coming out of it, mm-hmm. and you can actually run a refrigerator for a day or two on it. You can run household appliances up to a certain amount, and it just charges like a 12-volt battery, and you can run it off a solar panel or off your lighter in your car yeah. <laughs> or, or to charge it, I mean. Yeah, the, uh, the technology's there. It just has to be implemented. If uh, I actually dabbled away from uh, technology into the political end of this and uh, well you correct me if you think I'm wrong on this one here but okay. on a federal level if you took the existing parties or you took a city like London and uh, or Toronto or even a province uh, you could let's just use the parties here uh, you the, the uh, an unknown party could immediately get a couple seats if they were driving a hydrogen powered car they go to a meeting <laughs> with a glass full of water from the exhaust and drink it in front of the audience there's zero emission now, the, if this was technology was ever invented for a party, it'd be the Green Party. But now, if the ND- of course that's a greenhouse gas, though, isn't it? No, it's, it's water. It's just water. It's, it's not just even water. vapor. Well, the first generations it'll you dispense it to the atmosphere. As later generations, you'll have a condenser, which will allow a more efficient engine, and you also collect the water to be either dumped or recycled later. The, that's interesting. That's interesting. The NDP would look at it as, oh, these are these are jobs that will fill in where the auto sector is hurting, and if you look at North America. What is the auto sector good at? Full-size cars, full-size trucks, full-size SUVs. You run them on hydrogen for less than, uh, for a fraction of the cost of uh, gasoline or diesel. 
Now, the Liberals and the Conservatives, they're the, they're the two wild ones here. Okay, let's get to them. We're <laughs> going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation on uh, how we can get some cheaper energy. We all know how man-made pollutants are wreaking havoc in our atmosphere, and how these deadly emissions are increasing exponentially the more fossil fuels we burn. What you don't know is that last year alone, methane concentrations inside our atmosphere tripled with potentially disastrous consequences for the environment. We need to do something. The problem is, we don't know what. Quick look at the official figures and you think there's not a problem. One of the most widely used data sources is BP's annual statistical review. It shows over a trillion barrels of oil remaining worldwide, at least 40 years of supply. It is claimed that the Middle East have over 60% of the world's oil reserves and the whole of OPEC over 80%. But recently, enormous doubts have been cast over how much oil there really is in the world. In terms of the actual reserve estimates, you, you have in many places in the world clear definitions and numbers that you can, you can count on. However, in other parts of the world, you have, um, you have estimates that are given by, by governments that are not audited. And um, whether those estimates are accurate or not is, is a key point, particularly as those numbers represent some 80% of the world's reserves. Some suspect that between 1983 and 1990, the OPEC countries exaggerated their reserves and have been doing so ever since. In 1988, for example, suddenly the numbers were increased by 300 billion barrels without the supporting evidence. And there's a suspicion that had to do with quotas and, and it had to, do with, um, had to do with politics. OPEC have always denied this. However, over the last 20 years, their reserve numbers have barely changed, despite producing vast amounts of oil in that time. This has further fueled speculation that their reserves are inflated. That was a clip from a CBC broadcast done last year from The Passionate Eye, which uh, I thought was a little bit... Um, I don't know how much of it I could believe, actually, in terms of oil. You know, it's always the story, uh, yeah, we have a shortage of oil, but it depends on what price. You know, if you raise the price, suddenly the shortage disappears, because, of course, there's a correlation. And welcome back to the show. I'm Bob Metz, and you're listening to Just Right on CHRW, where we are joined today by Andy Jansen, futurist and all-around uh, scientist and technological type of person who knows a lot of things that I'll never figure out in my life. And Andy, you were just saying before the break, uh, we were talking about the, you had the NDP, how they would look at it, now you're just going to get to the Conservatives. Oh, and the those. Conservatives and or Liberals mm -hmm. would um, uh, look at this as uh, they would suddenly look really good to the general public and writings that they never had access to because they would promise uh, either wind generation and, of course, uh, fuel plummets and the kind of funding that would encourage this kind of business and they would come in with a majority whoever was first on this wagon now that's very true but now that all presupposes a lot of things first of all um, you know is it best to put the idea is the reason that we want to build uh, something energy efficient uh, for the planet or more for ourselves or more because of um, um, 
a secondary reason. For example, one of the things that keeps coming up is the issue of independence. We want to be energy independent. And my first question is, well, okay, independent of what uh, or of who? Uh, we can't be independent of the necessity of trade because um, oh. even to build this technology involves worldwide trade. You can't... Uh, yeah, we'll start exporting this technology. If, if you took uh, any location in Canada, it became... Let's just say London, Ontario, mm -hmm. and it would no longer be called the Forest City. We call it the Green Forest City, and you'd invite all these empty warehouses and factories, get some government money in, uh, start doing more research, bring people in, fuel cell people, electric people. Electric cars won't work in Canada because of two main reasons. Uh, one is long distance between points and the cold weather. Yeah, when General Motors had the electric car, it was only available in Southern California and a couple spots in Arizona. Uh, the battery technology is not going to be the way for Canada, unless we have a major climate change. Well, you know, it's interesting. We hear a lot about hybrid cars. And uh, GM has come out with one, and they're saying, well, this hybrid car gets, quote, 200 miles to the gallon, okay? And I'm thinking, well, what kind of meaningless statistic is that if it's a hybrid car? How much is it actually getting to the gallon when it's running 100% on gas? I wouldn't be going around saying a 100% electric car gets... Uh, how many miles to the gallon of gas does it get? You well, know? They're, they're, using su they're using diesel submarine technology. You recharge your batteries when you're driving, and then you switch over to batteries, and... Um, periodically have to surface and recharge. But I mean the standard is still being used as a measurement against how much fuel you're using. I can see in the future they'll be concerned about how much fuel you're using with respect to electricity use. How many miles do you get to per the per kilowatt or or whatever because it's going to be an energy drain on the grid somewhere, isn't it? If people are plugging their cars in or do you not even see that being part of the well, scenario? Well, do you, do you want to, my point of view is if you no, think... Go, go with it. I know, I know yeah. you're sometimes going really out in the future there, but, but well, take okay. us along for the trip. Here's a year in the future. Chrysler, a uh, huge company, some major Canadian facilities. What I'm suggesting is a Chrysler dealer or dealers would get together, and here's the premise of it. They would, uh, you could order a Chrysler 300 out of Brampton or a minivan out of Windsor, and you'd order the hydrogen option. And it would be much like the B-36. It both had piston engines and jet engines on it. That's it, with air, air, aircraft. Mm -hmm. It had a 10, 10 aircraft. That's a good trivia. Um, but um, the... Um, You'd order the car, and the Chrysler dealer, to show they were green, would put a windmill on top of their dealership, but it would have five blades on it, 72 degrees apart. So, And you'd have a streamer from the tip of each blade to the length of the next blade. So as it rotated, it would be the Chrysler symbol. Oh, boy, you've got a lot of marketing <laughs> all planned. You, I think you should be and, applying for a job at Chrysler, and then they might need you. Well, and then, of course, as you come into town, you see this large object rotating, and it'd be like the, like the McDonald's arches are stationary. Okay. You'd have the Chrysler symbol displaying, and they were producing electricity, uh, cracking the water with, with electrolysis, producing the hydrogen. And when you buy this car, you get, say, your first year of hydrogen-free or your second year. So you're in once a week topping up your fuel. And they, of course, want to check all the plumbing and the fittings and everything because it's, it's a new concept. And once a week, and they update your GPS with all the other local Chrysler dealers that are now coming this way. And you'd be able to bypass the head management because this is done at the dealer level. Well, how new a concept is it really? I've, got, I've seen a lot of articles like, here's one cars of the future. But already, I understand you, hydrogen cars are in use in, in states like California. Yeah, BMW has basically perfected the actual combustion process. And that they actually have uh, refueling stations available all up and down uh, the West Coast. As they're trying in Iceland also. 
in Iceland already. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, are, but are those the exact type of vehicles that you had envisaged? Yes, they are. The first ones I envisioned would say it would both have gasoline and hydrogen on board because the, the stations are not all there yet. But the big one that's going to come on based on sheer money will be the 18 wheelers, the big rigs. They will. Uh, embrace this because it works and you'd have these major places on the uh let's just say the 401 here with the flying consonants they don't have mm-hmm. vowels on the all, all consonants like the flying m would have a windmill or solar panel farm there and they'd be producing hydrogen the trucks would be pulling in and some kind of a financial deal of how much it really costs but it'd be a savings and uh then if you owned it like in the 50s and 60s and 70s if you had a mercedes diesel you always had to go to the truck stops to refuel so the big the chrysler minivans and the chrysler 300s will also be going there to refuel if they're traveling any distance so this is the beginning of the uh of the conversion away from carbon you'll the end of the carbon era and the beginning of the hydrogen era and the infrastructure will follow the cars and the cars will follow the infrastructure now in many ways this is a very natural development that would have occurred with or without government aid at some point um what's interesting though is is it seems like the government's pulling in two directions on the one hand it wants everybody to cut back and and conserve on the other hand they're talking about producing more you know by building windmills but of course uh, and then there's the the nuclear option which is uh, uh, an extraordinarily proven to be expensive one though relatively clean wouldn't you say well i actually studied that one and i came up with this conclusion um w5 did one on this and um they estimate that one nuclear plant in ontario will take 10 years and 30 billion dollars i'm suggesting for one third of that 10 billion dollars you can make all of canada energy independent and I'm talking the cars, the homes, uh, everything, uh, factories, the entire economy, in uh, five to seven years. Well, that, that why wouldn't if why aren't they right at your front door knocking then? And uh, because I think the kind of influence that they have over government is far greater than we have over government. Well, and how would that be done? How would you see that being done? Uh, it, how, how did you work out a cost like that? I don't even know how, how you could, or is that just a, 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 a ballpark figure? These are general figures, but if the government could either put $30 billion up for one nuclear plant, or they could put one-third of it, $10 billion, and basically into a fund so anybody who wants uh, to convert their Chrysler dealership over would be able to get that money back in, say, a year. And then, of course, you've got the facility, people are buying the cars, it is an expensive option at first, but the price will start plummeting as the demand goes up. And these uh, these will all be a, a standard retrofit. They'll be pretty well universal. Uh, it's not entirely too different than what is currently being done for propane and natural gas for powering number of vehicles. Now, is hydrogen now safe enough to use in... in oh, yes. Well, the exhaust is water. No, uh, but I mean, people often are concerned about what happens in a car accident. Oh, what happens when, when the tank is um, suddenly under compression from an accident a, or something There's a couple like of that. neat examples of that. The U.S. military took a Russian anti-tank shell, and they had a Hummer fit it with a fuel cell, and they shot this anti-tank shell through the uh, storage tank, which I find they had this huge tank because my, my thinking is to produce very large... Uh, very small tanks but in several different places and they hit this one thing and of course the shell went right through and guess what escaped hydrogen and what did it immediately do when it hit the air just turn into gas it condensed to water oh to water because it's hydrogen striking oxygen in the air and two to one 
Oh, that's that's what's happening. It's there. producing ah, water. Okay, now that's the first time someone explained it that way to me. That's very interesting. Listen, we'll take a break at the bottom of the hour. Now we'll get back into a little bit of the financing of this uh, these new energy sources, and I might take Andy to task on a couple of his suggestions here. But we'll be back after this break. You do comedy. I've discovered that there's there's a couple of words that you can and can't say on stage. Tulsa has its own word that made the audience just turn on me, and I just stumbled across it by accident. I accidentally said evolution. <laughs> Holy crap, the whole place, Whoa! what the, what oh, that bull crap right there, buddy. And I go, what is evolution, that bull, bull, and they're mad, and they're saying, well, what do you people believe in? They go, creationism, that's the only way. And I thought that was really weird, because just down the street from the place, they had a place called I Can't Believe It's Yogurt. And I was thinking, geez, Tulsa's got a lot of misplaced skepticism. gentlemen when do we start building you've examined our model you've seen our little picture i hope by now we've succeeded in dispelling some of your original skepticism if it's that important a project why doesn't the government undertake it? Well, here's the reason the vast amount of brains talents special skills and research facilities necessary for this project are not in the government nor can they be mobilized by the government in peacetime without fatal delay only american industry can do this job and American industry must get to work now, just as we did in the last war. Yes, but the government footed the bills. And they'll foot this bill, too, if we're successful. You know that. If we fail, we'll take a colossal beating. So we can't fail. Not only is this the greatest adventure awaiting mankind, but it's the greatest challenge ever hurled at American industry. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. I'm Bob Metz, and I'm with you from now till noon, and I'm joined in studio by Andy Jansen, futurist, who is self-taught in science, chemistry, and physics, and we've been talking about everything... Uh, new technologies, hydrogen, things of that nature. And we'll get back to some of those ideas in a moment, but I just want to touch upon the financing issue, just to get that put behind us here, Andy. Um... You've been sending me things over the years, too. You send me a lot of... By the way, Andy is also a humorist, i got to tell you, because some of the, uh, the jokes he sends me, I actually use some of them on the air from time to time. I don't know if you've caught all of them, but uh, I do use them. You've got an interesting sense of humor. Matches mine a little bit. But you also send me these articles, such as this one here, where you somewhat lament the lack of funding for a lot of these projects. And I know that as, um, as, a, as I, I guess, an inventor, a discoverer, a person who's actually putting their, their own time and energy into this, it's got to be frustrating to be sort of caught between a rock and a hard place for funding because the government's already monopolized so much of um, research funding and is, and is literally, you know... People are talking about General Motors being a branch of the government even today. Actually, it's public transit if you're driving a GM. <laughs> That's right. And uh, one of the articles you sent me here was, uh, again, um, apparently the United States has made, um, under U.S. Secretary uh, Stephen Chu, announced a delivery of $377 million in funding for 46 new multi-million dollar energy frontier research centers, which they call um, EFRCs. And this funding is made available through the Recovery Act, which is part of the, the stimulus package. And um, it, it apparently it represents a commitment of uh, just three-quarters of a billion dollars over five years. 
and um, it's got a, and then of course it had a whole list of the kinds of things they're financing for example uh, 14 million dollars for five years to adapt the fundamental principles of natural photosynthesis to the man-made production of hydrogen at Arizona State University. And there's a whole bunch of these that mm-hmm, are similar yes. to that. Um, you've asked me the same question in the past. In fact, I dealt with this issue as a separate issue on our uh, 96th show, which was aired in March 26. And, you know, I can understand your situation. Like, to you, you don't really care where the money comes from as long as it's going into the effort you want. But, you know, just from what I've looked at, and I even brought some uh, some examples along here, you can see the issue. Um, it seems that there's more government obstacles in the way of oh, getting yes. uh, funding for this kind of thing than there are help. And and a lot of them is, for example, this lack of a, of a mutual trade agreement between Canada and the United States where capital can only flow in one direction. Well, it, I, it doesn't come north to us. We can send ours to the states, and that's perfectly okay, but for Americans to invest up here, they can't either. Look at this headline for, by industry minister Jim Prentice. Ottawa must control technology. Well, that leaves you guys like you out of the picture. And that's well, how they think. You well, know? You, I can make a simple suggestion. That, What's that? that? Well, if you want to import oil, the oil must be earmarked exclusively to be recyclable, not to be burned once and produce carcinogens. It should instead only be used as some process, Kevlar's, polymers, laminates, uh, are, are, plastics. Isn't that already being done to some degree? Or well, I thought, um, you, no, they just produce uh, diesel and gasoline. So let's change it that uh, Canada will be the only producers of diesel and gasoline, and then the price will be such that uh, hydrogen uh, can be justified as uh, basically your home would be totally hydrogen-powered. You'd refuel your own car with hydrogen at home. Again, uh, how how do you actually see that being done? I'm I'm curious about this recycling of oil. Uh, My understanding was, now you're talking about even the oil we use to, to fuel our, our vehicles, not just yes. the oil that they change in your car every now and then, which uh, which is recycled, I understand. Yes, but any uh, fuel c- cannot be cracked down into gasoline or diesel unless there's some huge penalty on it. And that kind of penalty would fund the hydrogen technologies. And... Uh, no, when I'm, when I'm driving my car and I'm burning that fuel, isn't it, isn't it done with? Isn't that it? That's it. It's used once. It, uh, You're saying I can use it again? No, you, the whole idea is that if it's coming to be produced, there sh- it, the bulk of it should be in products that are recyclable. Hydrogen is recyclable. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. So you're basically saying move away from oil as much as you can as yes. a fuel and, yes. and stick to hydrogen. Um, I was interpreting that more as... Like as biofuels mm-hmm. uh, for diesels. Uh, it is a recyclable because you can uh, reuse... Uh, uh, the wheat or the corn or whatever organic material they're using. Now, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, once the oil is used once in a diesel engine, it's lost. It's now particulate, heat, mm-hmm. and uh, having rotated your crankshaft. So you got the energy, you got your, your payback yeah. for it. That's what you You got really your wanted. payback for it, but you only used it once. And you can use it again, you're yeah. saying. I'm suggesting that uh, polymers and laminates and Kevlars can constantly be recycled and Whereas, into better and better So products. just switch any, th- any kind of... Um, uh, totally consumptive activity to, into a hydrogen user yes. rather than oil. Well, that's kind of common anyway, isn't it? I'm, uh, yes, or but is it? whatever government wants to embrace this new, for lack of a word, this new green energy uh, will be the one that... I'm uh, starting to hate that word because to I me... Know, it's to, a, to, to, me it. to, to me, To me, it places the cart before the horse because it's one thing 
you know they're they're jumping on this movement today like to, to as if it's something new that uh, yeah. being that being energy efficient is is also being economical that, it, that has it always need, been it needs the case. a better name it needs a better name something that's sort of more universal and and less what has become a religion almost mm-hmm. because it's one thing to do it for the environment another thing to do it for yourself which is ends up being better for the environment which is the irony of the whole thing now you had some other Concepts that you wanted to uh, yeah, could you uh, run by us? In, envision your own house. Okay, I'll and try and try well, and do that. I live in an apartment, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I've been in houses. <laughs> well, it'll still work. It'll still work. But what it'll be is, so you pull into your garage. Okay. In the corner of the garage, you'll have this object about the size of a I don't know, 23, 25 cubic foot stand-up freezer in the corner. It'll have been hardwired and plumbed into your house. Uh, it'll have either solar panels or wind generation or what uh, it could be micro generation. It might turn out that. Uh, what they're hinting at now is uh, algae to produce hydrogen. And uh, there's a number of things that are toying with right now. But you would be producing hydrogen, storing electricity, mm-hmm. feeding your own grid in your own house. Uh, the byproduct would be water. You could shower with distilled water. Uh, people can't normally drink distilled water for long periods of time, so you'd be able to have a whole industry follow up with, with cartridges for whatever the doctor says you're ailing for, for like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, calcium or iron or whatever your body requires. So there'd be a whole sub-industry would follow up this clean water industry because there'd be no more fluorides, no more chlorines, no more uh, chemicals in the water because you'd be a pure distilled water to use for everything. Uh, and uh, it'd be simply the byproduct of producing electricity in your own home that you're sending out through the meter that you're getting paid for. Now, And you'd lease these units that, to That's a bit of a different method of producing electricity yes. than we talked about last this time. This would be independence. This would be the absolute independence of energy. And whether it's at a cottage or you'd have larger units at a factory... Or and when times when there's, you're totally overcast and you're totally no wind or you're the part of the country that doesn't is not really good at converting over, you'd still have the grid from now, the neighboring. Does solar play a, a big part in this still in your visions of how energy future I, might go? What I'm suggesting here is that all these energy production processes, particularly the interesting one with the bacterias and the algaes, I think that if any of them have some major breakthroughs. They might be the exclusive to all this. Um, I'm even suggesting stuff like uh, the golf ball as replacing um, uh, the whole technology of golf ball transferred over with the ABC concept on uh, on blades. Explain that. Yeah, oh, I know you, you mentioned this once to me before. Okay, ABC, advanced First, blade. First, explain the, the golf ball, too. Okay, golf ball has divots on know. it. It mm-hmm. produces a laminar flow. The golf ball does not have a uniform direction of rotation, so you have divots. What I'm suggesting... Which are the little, um, little bumps. impressions yeah. on, on, that you see on, on a golf ball. Yeah, which allows it to flow better in the air. And okay. I'm suggesting that type of technology, basically done with a, a big computer, you could transfer that over for everything from ceiling fans to turbochargers to uh, wind generators uh, to water generation to steam turbines. And I suspect that since a turbocharger, as an example, rotates in a known fixed direction, you don't need divots. And the other thing I'm suggesting, it needs pimples. There'd be raised points on, say, laminar flow and leading edges or trailing edges. Mm-hmm. But because you now have a known fixed direction, you wouldn't have to have a divot. You'd have something more akin to a, a teardrop shape. Because it, and there's Which is enough, almost the way an airplane wing is shaped in a way. No, it would be more Isn't of a it? delta thing. And, uh, oh. and, and what I think is being... I think it's already being done in secret because if you see any of this YouTube of the black helicopters, mm-hmm. even the blades are black. And they're totally silent. You can hear dogs barking as this thing's going by, but you can't actually hear it, which means there's noise is the byproduct of uh, losses of energy, like billiard balls on a table, right? So they're doing it in some way, and since they have black blades on it, they're probably covering up the surface 
and or the divots. Th- that's are, interesting. You say that noise is a byproduct. Okay. So if you had a perfect, say, a perfect billiard ball, and and yeah. you hit it right on, you sh- you shouldn't hear a sound. Well, right? you've, you've got <laughs> a billiard ball has losses in rotation. Mm-hmm. It has friction against the surface. Sure. It strikes another object, transfers its energy, and part of the byproduct that transfers noise because it's operating in a gas. Now, if you run the billiard uh, game in a vacuum, you're not going to have the noise escape. You become more efficient. And the rolling resistance is better because it's not pushing against the air. Well, that, that, that's understandable, yes. I can see that with, uh, without any resistance. And, and now, with the blades, like you were suggesting, um, are, are they not using that kind of technology no, uh, tur- already? turbochargers have not evolved really in the last 30, 40 what years. What are they using right now? Uh, they're using, uh, well, they have stators. Like if you take an axial flow... You have your compressor side. <laughs> I, I bet you just lost half of us oh, with yeah. that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll just take blade, one of them. <laughs> blade, blade technology is getting better, uh-huh. but it's progressively quite slow. I'm suggesting that if blade technology, there was a big push for blade technology to improve, and we're talking uh, uh, ceiling fans, mm-hmm. you could actually make them so efficient they would be silent. Okay. And uh, there, there might be a market for that, but then if you can get a turbocharger which uh, has a huge uh, automotive and truck applications, and you can make them even more efficient. Um, you can take axial, like uh, jet aircraft engines, and uh, they're, uh, like, just the stators themselves are, like, between the two stages from the compressor and the, uh, and the turbine side. And there's a whole series of just making blades more efficient. Basically, um, uh, let's take a 6,000-pound airplane, has to have a, a four-foot propeller, three, four-foot propeller, but the same weight of a boat only needs a propeller a foot because the medium they operate in. Sure. So it's it's all, again, what would behave in water would behave different in air, which would behave different in steam, which would behave differently in uh, superheated exhaust gases. How, how much energy can we really get out of a, out of a windmill? Is it actually cost... Can, can it sometime be cost-effective without the government having to pour money into it? Uh, I'm going to make a suggestion here that you take windmill or solar technology. It's where you and I were when the Commodore first came out. The Commodore 64. The Commodore 64. Yeah. We thought that was the pinnacle of, that was the most advanced. This was awesome. This was unbelievable. This was pure magic. By today's standards, you hand that off to your kids and they'll get mad at you. It'll, it would be, <laughs> this is primitive. What is this thing, right? But that you, literally, if, if a group were to come together and, and say, okay, we want to advance this technology and we want to sell it worldwide and we want to be the controllers and the distributors and the, and the leasers of this, this, this would be the way, whether it's solar, whether it's wind, or um, right here in London, I can give you an example of um, you, from the Fanshawe Dam all the way to probably close to Chatham, you could set up a whole series of dams um, with enough head on the water to uh, drive a series of turbines. And you would lease this out as a, um, uh, as a dam site where the city would agree to buy back a certain percentage of the hydro, be profitable for whoever built the dam, and um, uh, you could put a restaurant on top of the dam and you could advertise the best damn meal in town. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, we'll take a break and we'll come back and and entertain a few other ideas that are coming up in technology, maybe a little bit more away from the energy thing. Now, that's sex appeal. Sexual attraction in this context is not a part of my programming. I'm an android. Well then, have you seen any good-looking computers lately? That's a joke. It's funny. Oh, of course it is.
My dad is not clued into anything, you know. Like the VCR, he has no clue, you know. Are your parents like mine with the VCR? The flashing 12 is always going, you know. My dad thought it was a meltdown, like it's nuclear powered or something, you know. I come over, you know, he's, he's going, everybody get out of the house. What time is it, Dad? 12, 12, 12, 12. Every day, Sunday. Anything high-tech, my dad will pick up a calculator on the coffee table, you know, and he'll try to change the channels on the TV. I've got 3.14 here, what the hell is this? That's the Pi Network, Dad. My dad with the VCR, he phones me up and says, come on over, I rented a porn film, right? I go over, he's rented the head cleaner. My dad had no clue. I go over, you know, he's sitting there, there's snow on the screen, you know. How long has it been like that, Dad? Since Sunday. There's something wrong with the tracking. Give me that calculator back, please. Just kick it over here. Sounds a lot like my dad when he was alive and like my mom still today when it comes to the VCR. I still got to set that thing up. Uh, in the studio today with Andy Jansen, futurist, self-taught in science, chemistry, physics, and has had some of his own successes here at the University of Western Ontario with respect to the storage of hydrogen and making some developments in that area of science. Now, I know you, you do a lot of generalized reading about various scientific things and everything, and I, this is not your area of expertise, I don't think, at least we've never talked about it, but uh, do you ever foresee artificial intelligence in... in, in the real sense of what that word might mean, like a, like a data type of an android that you see on Star Trek, you, you, think, you, you think that's actually possible? Yes. You do? Yes. In, in the sense that you think a machine could actually get to the point of even having its own self-interest or well, something DARPA like that? Well, DARPA in Michigan has uh, Hummers now that are driving themselves around. Well, that's robotic action that's is a little robotic, bit different. And they're, that's the beginning. This is, they're at the Atari stage right now. And mm -hmm. this will evolve, this right. will evolve, and everything will evolve. And as long as there's a demand and an interest for it, it will continue on. It's interesting because um, I have a uh, article here, I, I guess this is from the National Post, and it's dated um, January of last year. And uh, it talks about a quantum breakthrough, a leap in technology in terms of computer science. And uh, they're talking about no longer dealing just on the old binary system of ones and twos, but dealing on a quantum system where you have, a, or a, a zero and one rather, where you have uh, a one and a zero at the same time. And how that will impact on um, computing in the future. Now what they suggest here is that you'll be able to go to a bank and instead of typing in a PIN number or something like that, you just talk to the machine and it knows you. That it will have enough... Uh, 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 um, computing ability to recognize your voice, recognize what you look like, match you to your account, and all that kind of stuff. You, you see that type of stuff coming? Yes. If you if you think back, say, a uh, hundred years ago, and the the idea of say the car, the motor car to replace the horse, that that was just out. Of, you know, that was just this this motorized carriage for these rich people to dabble mm -hmm. in. But it evolved and it came on. It it came online. It it worked. Well, it certainly demonstrated a practical use, even you know, yes. to the people that, that that could do it and the people that couldn't. They could see it. I, I could I could use one of those things, you know, yeah. 
Um, I don't know if it's that way with everything. There's certainly a revolution in robotics going on, which I I kind of see as being not just the energy revolution of this century, but uh, the future of, I guess, more mechanic, mechanics and where electronics may go more. Well, if, if you we see could, that? If we could free up the energy concerns, because mm-hmm. we have a, a group of Middle Eastern countries that we're pouring, and I hear the numbers from a couple of sources, but it's something over almost $2 billion a day mm-hmm. being sent to these this groups of countries. Yeah, but if we're we buying can, cheap oil from them cheaper and we can make it ourselves, well, right? We, we can produce hydrogen here even cheaper. Yeah, we're not there yet. We're, well, we're, we are within... For, we're within immediately of a few key sites of doing it, and we're certainly within a decade of being totally energy independent with hydrogen. It's there. It's just it needs the funding and the people. And Th- this I understand, but it almost makes it sound as if um, you know the government's trying to get. And I've said this before. I think the government's trying to get in on a trend that's already happening and making it itself look like it's the leader when it's really following. Yes. In in the biggest sense. Well, it's very politically. Uh, uh, advisable for them. They, they wouldn't dare come out against this. Now, we always talk about producing energy, and then, of course, uh, there's what's going on in the home. You know, I've noticed, even in my own consumption over the years, in terms of, I, I may have more gadgets today than I could have dreamt ever having mm-hmm. uh, 20 years ago, but and I would 50 suggest... 50 years ago would have been pure magic. Oh, you know? beyond belief, but... I would suggest most of them use far less energy today yes, they do. Than, than the older ones did. And just to give you a perfect example, and, and I know a lot of people haven't heard about this device yet. Uh, they just come out recently. I recently purchased, uh, um, to me, the, it's the ultimate solution for watching TV, and it's called simply a media player. And they retail, I noticed, in the stores for about 129 to 149 And basically what they do is they go directly from USB to your television set, to whatever your existing television set is. It's just incredible. I've been throwing out all my DVDs, giving them all away. And anybody who heard my past show on how I watch TV with DVDs, you can you can throw that one in the garbage now, too. I would never have thought that would be outdated in 18 months already. And so here you have this little gadget. It's the size of, 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 a, of a pocketbook in your hand. It has no moving parts. I can watch TV putting a flash stick on it, or I can plug in a hard drive or two hard drives if I want and have thousands of shows at my fingertips without having to do anything in between. Now, mind you, a hard drive takes a little bit of energy, but I don't need to use that. I can use the flash drive, which I still haven't figured out how those things work, especially without a battery in them <laughs> and all that. You, how do they actually, how does a flash drive retain its, uh, its memory? Not in your field, eh? Not my field. Interesting. But you get the idea, you know, how cheap energy that has to be now. It runs on a 12-volt adapter. That's all it needs to run. And then it goes into any TV, including um, the new high-definition TVs, which I understand some of them use more power because of the size of the screen and uh, and other issues like that. But there's a lot of household gadgets of that nature that are are coming into being and, and using way more or way less energy than the ones we used before. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Did I ever catch you on that one on how to determine the amount of electrical energy stored in a snowflake? Um, you might have bounced that one after. Try it again. Okay. Not winter, but we'll go with it. Okay. Well, <laughs> how much energy is stored in a snowflake? Andy, I don't know how much energy is stored in a snowflake. <laughs> you basically, you could win every bar bet with this one because everybody, they, they, they can't imagine that, right? Okay. But you determine the number of snowflakes it makes to make a drop of water, and we're doing this today. We're extracting energy out of snowflakes. Mm-hmm. You take a drop, how many drops of water, how many snowflakes to make a drop of water, how many drop of water to make a gallon of water, 
how many gallons per minute flow over Niagara Falls and how many kilowatts per gallon. There you go. Yeah. It's with uh, straight old gravity. Gravity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it falls as uh, the sunlight heats it, falls down, because basically it's still solar power. That's right. Um, Do you want to know what the energy is going to be 100 years from now? In what sense? On this planet. What? Okay, this one I have to... Not hydrogen? Oh, no, hydrogen will be the byproduct, but how we're going to produce electricity? Oh, how? Well, uh, this is one your audience will find interesting. What's the definition of an electrical generator? Well, something that produces electricity, right? Okay, it's a wire moving in a magnetic field. Okay. It can reciprocate, oscillate, it can rotate, it doesn't matter. As long as you have a wire moving electric field, you, pr- you convert mm-hmm. electromagnetic energy to electricity. Where on this planet is the most electromagnetic energy? What, in the poles? I don't know. No, it's everywhere. This entire planet yeah. is a huge iron magnet. Now, how would you move a wire? Some planets don't have a magnetic field, you know that? They, they don't have like iron Like Venus core. doesn't, yeah, and, and um, I know the moon doesn't, I don't know. And that's caused by motion itself, as I understand it. So how would you uh, move a, a wire in this magnetic field? The reason I say it's 100 years from now, we don't have the materials to do this right now. But Uh the space shuttle would go up, and you'd have a cable. uh, They're suggesting about 1,400 miles long. You put a weight on one end, throw it up, weight on the other end, geocentric orbit. It settles down, the wire becomes taunt. And as the planet rotates, you've got this wire moving in several planes of rotation through this magnetic Mm -hmm. field. You clamp it on at the bottom, run it through a series of transformers, step it down, and feed it to the grid. You make it sound so simple. Well, <laughs> I'm sitting here scratching my head. Yeah, what if is he you look on about? the internet, it's called a space elevator. Oh. Um. And basically, they want to move the shuttle to the top with electromagnetic field, move everything to the top and launch it. Up and it. down a wire. Up and down a wire. You know, they actually uh, had such a device on a science fiction show. I think it was on um, Star Trek Voyager, in fact. I forget what they called it, but it was... And to me, that was one of those weirdest inventions I'd ever seen. And I'm going, okay, that is way too far out, putting this uh, elevator on a wire and going up into almost the stratosphere with it. We currently don't... Because you have a weight on one end. The centrifugal force is pulling it taut. But they're actually talking about this, I understand. There's no material that you can stretch 1,400 miles. Um, I think think they have a way of thinking around that, and I wish I could remember what it was. Well, they're doing stuff with buckyballs and nanos, but uh, there's... It's it's funny, I was looking at this article here. We've only got about three minutes left, believe it or not. But uh, I was talking about uh, Trek-inspired technology from things that we've seen Mm -hmm. on Star Trek and the things we already have today, and and they talked about handheld communicator, Mm -hmm. which was considered a big thing. Um, Automatic doors, uh, (laughs) take them for granted. Uh, Talking computers, we're just getting to that point now. Um, the things that they see as rather impossible or way beyond our ability, maybe ever, I don't know about some of these, uh, mainly like warp drive, transporter, you know, faster than speed of light, I imagine is what warp drive is, I, I, is I have, about. I have, I have a theory on that. You have to get a, de- a device that you can amplify gravity, because as soon as you distort gravity, you distort time. Um, yeah, that gets that's, really uh, issuing because time and we don't space have the, time. We don't have the materials, right? No, now. no, un- understood. And transporting in the sense of taking something apart, you know, like they do on Star Trek, totally disassemble the person and uh, transmit them like a radio wave to another location and reassemble mm-hmm. him at the other side. We, we kind of understand that because that's basically what's happening with this radio signal. Yes. Uh, but I don't think we would survive that process if we went through it. Or do you think there would ever be a possibility of 
such well, a thing. Well, think back a hundred years ago, this idea of a radio, that you'd have a room with a box in it and there was a person's voice coming out of it. Wow, that's just, that's unbelievable. Or let, let alone going to the moon or anything oh, like yeah. that. Now, here's one that I'm waiting for, and that's called the food replicator where you just push a button and you get the meal you want when you want it and you don't have to cook anything or anything like that, eh? Uh, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm more or less into. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and here's the other, um, kind of got it, but still mostly needed. He's got tricordered, phaser, and the universal translator. I guess we've got things getting close to uh, those kinds of uh, technologies. Well, we'll uh, look translators, we, I think we've had on computers since we've had computers, but yeah. they don't well, really talk. Well, in another... 100 years, it'll probably be a universal English language with regional accents. Yeah. So, <laughs> why not? Yeah. Why not? They'd have everything. Well, Andy, I can't believe it. We're actually out of time. It just flew by. I uh, hope you can join us again on a, on a future show as a futurist, <laughs> and uh, we'll take this conversation on to the next level. And that'll be it for this week. And we hope you'll join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. Be right, act right, stay right, think right, and take care. Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright My dad was no clue I got him a Frank Sinatra CD Thought it was a commemorative coaster <laughs> <laughs>